yesterday afternoon I was in Dallas with Corey and my sister watching the Rangers lose. Uh, it's 108 degrees with a heat index of 115. And that's why they built a new stadium with a roof. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, the crazy thing is, is um, they were getting beat in seventh inning stretch. Corey and Heidi decided to go to the Rangers store, team store, but I was, you know, still in hope and sat there for another couple innings. <laughs> but uh, one of my former college friends came and sat beside me and uh his name's Alan and uh he's probably listening today or whatever but he was here several months ago sat here on a Sunday morning and listened and kind of like traveling uh, Matt with this whole message that you're you just talked about and trying to unpack things that we grew we went to Oklahoma Baptist University together and learned things in a different mindset and I mean, it's still the same Bible, still the same gospel, but it was just t- taught with a different mindset with what we grew up with. And he's trying to unpack it. And so for like two innings, we just talked about the goodness of God and uh, the whole grace message. And it was kind of like, I had a great time with Corey the last three days, but you see the different things where God puts in place conversations and stuff like that. So Corey had a conversation with some lady on the plane about faith and and everything. I kept my headphones on. <laughs> uh but uh yeah, it was just uh it was just interesting. And then I get to Hebrews chapter twelve where we left off and I think about that conversation with Alan and that conversation with you guys throughout the years is is somewhat the same. He says this in verse fourteen, he says Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. This this verse, we we talk about identity a lot here, but now he's literally talking about uh, behavior. Behavior, what you do with what you know. What you do with what you know. And this is, it's really about how you respond out of your own identity the basis of what we do here is teach your identity in Jesus. You have to know this. You have to know this because you're getting beat up every day and everybody around you is getting beat up every day. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you still see yourself as a lowly, rotten, no-good sinner you're going to walk around with your head down. But if you know that you have been redeemed, that you have been forgiven, that you've been made holy, that you're separate from the rest of this world, all of a sudden you can walk in this world, this crazy messed up world, victoriously. You win. You walk. And he says, pursue peace with everyone. It, uh, okay, Matt, it's your turn. Uh, if I say Matt Tully's name, everybody in this room just had a thought about Matt Tully. Just see the post. Like, you think, and then you have to go, 
are my thoughts that are going through my head, are they, are they true? Or are they just something that's being made up? Like literally as a pastor, I can say things or I can do things that are going to offend people and it was never my intention to offend them. Ne- never, never did I, it's like, do you, do you not know me? Do you not know my heart? <laughs> I'm at, my heart is good. And yeah, sometimes I'll say some bad things. I, I get that. I'm not perfect in my behavior. I'm perfect in who I am. But I mess up. And But sometimes uh, I get blamed for a lot of things that never even happen. It's just people thinking. And a lot of times we call those expectations, is that I don't meet your expectations. And honestly, uh, you don't meet my expectations. And I have the same thoughts about you. I can look at you on Facebook, I can look at you here and go, well, I know this about them, I know this about them. And for some reason, just thoughts come into my head that I don't know if they're true. (laughs) But why would I believe them? And so when he's literally saying pursue peace with everyone, uh, I think he's, he's honestly saying think correctly, think correctly, think, think truth, think positive. Literally, if, if, if I believe what I teach in this room, that you're holy, righteous, redeemed, then why wouldn't I see you as that? Why wouldn't I treat you as that? Far beyond, far beyond what you're doing, but why wouldn't I just treat you like that? And I think that this is what he's trying to say to these believers who are being persecuted by the Jews. You, you guys have seen all the, the movies and, you know, uh, The Chosen and everything else and how the Jews just totally persecuted Jesus and persecuted Christians and everything else. And this, this is what's happening in the story right here is these people are being persecuted because they believe in Jesus as the Savior and the Messiah. And they're trying to get him to come back to Jerusalem to do the, the sacrifices at the temple. And he's like literally saying, no, 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 you, you, don't, you don't have to do that anymore. Jesus took care of everything. He's the one sacrifice. If you go back to that, you're going to lose something. And we were talking about it in Luke's group this morning. The Galatians is the same way. Galatians is like Paul went out, told the people in Galatia that they were free. And as soon as he left, went to a different mission place. The Judaizers came behind him and said, nope, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. You need to do this. Paul's not really an apostle. Da, 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 da. And, and even here today, it's the same thing. Oh, you're saved, but, you're saved by faith, but now you need to do this. Now you need to be baptized. Now you need to get up and have devotion. Now you need to serve in the church. Now you need to do this. Now you need to do this. And it's like, they want to just, just know that you're free. You're free. It's your belief in Jesus. It's your belief in Jesus and what everybody else thinks and what they've been taught and even what you listen to on the radio or anywhere else you're free you're free 
you can do what you want. And I truly believe, based upon what he's telling us here, he says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. And holiness, if you know your identity in Jesus Christ, it's going to impact your behavior. It's going to impact what you do. The more you know who you are in Christ, the more it causes you to do positive things for people. And the truth of the matter is, you already have peace. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he lives within me. Uh, I have the peace. I just need to choose it in my relationship. If you try to make peace and holiness with everyone without knowing who you are, you're probably going to labor really hard and you're probably going to fail. But if you know who you are and it just happens naturally because you're a new creation, it's an incredible experience. I didn't think that I was going to have that discussion with Alan in the 8th and ninth inning yesterday. I had no idea. It's an adventure. It's just very natural. And then here's what happens. He says, without it, no one will see the Lord. Well, what he's saying there is if I live my life out of my identity, people will know how good God is. If I live it without peace, without holiness, people aren't going to know who the Lord is. And so it all is based out of my identity, coming back to knowing who I am, me just naturally walking, breathing, hanging out with people, and then coming to know the Lord. In verse 15 it says, Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. We're not talking about salvation grace here when he's talking about the grace of God, but we're talking about a daily grace. Like I believe that I received grace when I was eight years old and God saved me from my sins. That's the salvation grace. But now there's another form of grace that takes place there's grace of allowing me to sit here and teach you the word of God. There's, there's grace with whoever I'm going to hang out with later today. There's grace of just me breathing. That's the daily grace that we receive that he's talking to. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up. If you're constantly focused on the grace of God, if you're focused on the grace of God, it combats what's going on up here, those thoughts. <laughs> and then the whole question of, is there too much grace? <laughs> that, that's, that's the craziest thing. If grace comes from God, is there too much grace? That doesn't even make sense. I mean... People will say, go up to pinheads, Rusty's soft on sin. Because he doesn't even talk about sin. I deal with more sin than I ever did in a legalistic environment. Because there's an openness here, and a trust here, and a transparency here, a community here that cares about each other. It's not gossip here. It's really not, at least not on my. We've, we've all got issues. We've all got issues here. But the door to sharing with more people about their sin 
issue, it's much larger here. You, you can say I'm soft on sin, yeah, because I believe that Jesus died one time and he took care of it all. I'm even having a conversation with Heidi as we're driving to the airport. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to let go of what we've been taught. It's hard to let go. Do we, do we, we don't have to ask for forgiveness anymore because he died one time and he forgave us. I don't think I have to confess my sins anymore because he already knows about them and he, even the ones I'm going to do and he already died for them and he took care of them. But he does call us to repentance. I still, I still have to change my mind about the choices, that, the bad choices that I make. If I choose to either, and I only make two choices, remember, I either walk by the Spirit or I walk by my flesh. And he, he's constantly reminding me to walk by his Spirit. Not condemning me for walking by my flesh, not calling me out, not convicting me of my sin. He's literally convicting me of my holiness. <laughs> that's, that's huge. Mom and dad... Mom and Dad, you got to figure this thing out. You, you remind your kids on a daily basis that they're holy, righteous, and redeemed. That they're forgiven. That they're loved by God. They're loved by you. And watch how it impacts their behavior. You can condemn them. I'm not saying get rid of discipline. I didn't say that. But if you're constantly condemning them and trying to convict them of what they're doing, their behavior and stuff, you'll see how far that gets you. Grace allows me to see God's discipline in my life as a good thing rather than a bad thing, just causing bitterness to grow. Verse 16, he says, And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau. Ooh, that's harsh who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Repentance. See, it's, we still repent. It's about the change of mind that comes along. It's not the change of heart because your heart's a good heart. It's all up here. It's It's the... I'm changing my thoughts, and that's not where Esau was. The author is literally reminding the Hebrew Christians that the choice of returning to Judaism could cause them much. It could cause them their lives if they go back to what they once believed. Because Esau, he sold his birthright to Jacob because he was hungry. Remember this story? He was hungry and... So like, yeah, you can have my birthright as long as I can eat. Thinking that he could, I'll eventually get it back. And he was more sorry for the physical loss of not having the birthright rather than the spiritual loss of having the blessing. And therefore, he wasn't repentant about his decision. And Esau, remember this, he didn't lose his salvation. He didn't lose his salvation, just the physical and the spiritual blessings that were coming with that birthright. And then, then he becomes bitter because he realized all that he lost. Um, I think the author's reminding these, these believers, these Christians, of the same loss. If you go back and do this thing, you're going to lose a lot, and it's just going to cause you to be bitter. 
it's, it's caused you to go, be, go back and focus on your sins rather than on Jesus. My friend Wes Kate, who uh, writes our sealed discoveries for us at camp, one time sent me this, and I saved it. But he wrote me this about Esau and Jacob. He's, I was always curious why Esau was so despised and Jacob was loved by God. Jacob is the conniving one, and Esau was just hungry. But looking at the inheritance of the patriarchs, that inheritance wasn't the wealth of life. It was the Lord who blesses. Like everything comes from the Lord. It's not based upon what the family owned. I think Esau and Jacob both knew that. So Esau was willing to give up the Lord, willing to give up the Lord for a meal. And Jacob was willing to lie, cheat, and steal to get God. Like two, two different drives. That would be an interesting lesson on faith versus law in itself. He said, It's my opinion that Jacob had watched his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac walk before God. He knew their relationship and wanted it bad. That the influence, the influence that the father and the grandfather has on the children, like they're literally watching us. I sat on the plane with my headphones on and listened to my son talk to this older lady about faith. She's like, you got to be baptized to be saved. (laughs) And Corey was like wise enough to not step into that argument, but just like say, you know, well, I don't necessarily believe that. And the discussion went on that probably happened because he's watching his mom and dad and he knows the truth that the parents the parents here have a great impact on the kids he said this is still Wes talking this is not scripture that's why at the end of his life he could pray a beautiful prayer to the lifelong friend talking about Jacob to someone he had grown up a matured, well-aged relationship. And this was the prayer. The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. And the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. Like, he got it. He got it from watching grandpa and dad. How important his relationship with God was. It impacted him. And then verse 18, it says, For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire. He's talking about Mount Sinai here, where Moses was. He says, To darkness and gloom and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. This is, this is, he's literally going back to those that left Egypt and they're getting ready to go into the wilderness and they've made this calf, this golden calf, and they're worshiping it. Moses is up on the Mount Sinai and he's getting the Ten Commandments. He's literally getting the law. And they hear the voice of God. They hear the voice of God and fear has set in with them. Like, 
God says, don't touch this mountain or you die. And they get to the point where they're so scared of God that they say, we don't want to hear from God anymore. We don't want to hear, he's the one that gave us the law. We don't want to hear it. Moses, tell him, tell him, stop. We don't want to hear it. They so fear God that they asked him to stop talking. And so why does this author bring this, why does he bring this up to these Hebrew Christians hundreds of years later? Because he's literally referring to them, you want to go back to that? That's what the, the Jews are trying to get you to do. They're trying to get you to go back to the law. Is that what you want? If they return to what was the law, they're going to experience this terror and fear that they experienced back there at Mount Sinai. And in, you know that when they got sent to the wilderness for 40 years that basically two generations died in the wilderness. And he's literally saying, you want to go back to that? You could lose your life. It's a possibility that you could. And as you know, we've said in here before, 70 AD came along, the Romans came in, destroyed the temple, 1.1 million Jews died. They could have literally lost their life if they went back to that. (laughs) And then he's literally saying, you know, stepping out in faith just allows you to experience additional blessings. Verse 22, it says, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Now, look what he's done here. He's literally taken Mount Sinai of the old covenant of the old covenant and he's like, look, this is like bad news. The laws came along. They were scared of God, everything else. Now look, you're in a new situation, a new covenant. You have a savior that you can talk to and that you have access to and everything. You've been made perfect and all those that were Old Testament saints, all those that were before the Christ that believed, that believed in the Messiah, they've literally died, gone to paradise, and when Jesus rose from the dead, he took them with him, and they're with Jesus now. Like, he's comparing Mount Sinai, which was the, the whole mountain of law, versus Mount Zion, which is a mountain of grace. Is this what you want? You want to go back to that? Really? Like, all that you've been given at this new mount, you've been made righteous. And even those that were the Old Testament saints, they've been credited with righteous. They've been made righteous. And he's talking about the, the blood of Abel. What was the blood of Abel able to do? Cover sin. Where Jesus' blood was able to forgive sin, to actually remove it, to take it away. Verse 25, it says, See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they do not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will, it, even less will if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. It is Jesus' sacrifice of the blood right here that speaks to the Hebrew Christians. Moses warned them about Sinai, about Mount Sinai and the voice that happened there. But now... 
it's literally the blood of Jesus that's speaking to you and to me. There's a whole difference. The whole generation died in the wilderness because they refused to listen. If these Hebrew Christians refuse to listen, they're going to miss out. They're going to die. Verse 26, it said, it says, His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. He's quoting Haggai verse, chapter 2, verse 6 there. He says, this expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. He's literally saying what's going to remain is the believers are going to remain. Those who trust in daily grace rather than the law, you're going to live. And I, I truly believe what he's saying is not only do you physically live, but you live this life of adventure. You guys, you know that if you're walking by the Spirit on a daily basis, some crazy things happen to you. Like conversations you never expected to happen. A change of mind happens. You're literally able to overcome sin issues that have grabbed you your whole life. Not because it's in your own strength, but because you have a Savior, a Messiah, that does it for you. I've tried. I've tried to do the whole sin management thing. It doesn't work. And that's why I'm sitting here. I'll proclaim that good news every day. If you have a sin issue, one, you're forgiven. Two, he's the one that's going to fix it, not you. You have to trust him. You can't beat yourself up about it. You have to keep your eyes on him. Yeah, you're going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. I get it. And you go, well, doesn't that just make grace cheap? (laughs) It's all up here. It's all up here. It can be cheap. You make it cheap. But to me, it's not. I know what he did for me. And I know what I need him to do for me. I know it on a daily basis. The last verse he says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our, how, do, how does reverence and awe play out? I honestly believe, I honestly believe that as a, as a body of Christ, I'm not talking about just here, I'm just talking about worldwide, that the church doesn't see the awe of God. What is, it, what is the awe of God? Like, yeah... I can see things that I've received physically. I can see things that, you know, have 
happened here in the room, but what is the awe of God? Have, have you seen, have you experienced the awe of God? I have. I have. I'm, I'm looking at a room full of it. You are the awe of God. Literally. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here like looking going, oh yeah, absolutely, the awe of God. How does it play out? Man, we sit here and we sing with Ron and Bill. And, yeah, okay. We sing songs. How does it play out? We have conversations. We have Bible studies. We have dinner together. We hang out together. We console one another. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. Man, I don't want to be around a bitter Christian. I want to be around somebody that knows who they are. Who knows who they are in Christ and rejoices in it, is thankful for it knows what Jesus has provided. They're not missing out on it. They, they see and experience the awe of God. Those are the people that I want to be around. Because I, I, I've done the other thing. And I'm not going back. I'm not playing the game of church. I'm not. I played the game for a long time. And to be able to walk this walk, to be able to... I, again, I, I don't put... I'm not putting myself on a pedestal or anything else, and I don't think that I've got it all figured out. But there is this freedom and this grace that I, have, I am learning to understand on a daily basis, and I love every bit of it. It's full of life spiritual blessings that I can't explain, I can't explain. I don't want to be able to explain my life at all. I look at my life, and I even said to Alan yesterday, I'm like, I don't get it, I don't understand my life at all. And that's a good place to be. Don't miss out on what Jesus has already provided these Hebrew Christians. He's like, don't, he's like, come on, you guys. You gotta see this. You gotta see this. Don't give up. Don't go back. Don't go back. There's so much more out here. A physical life and a spiritual life that Jesus has provided for us. Yeah, this world's going to beat you up. And it's going to tell you something different. But believe what you know. Believe what you know. Walk by the Spirit. Father, I pray for uh, this room. Man, there's so much stuff going on in here. And... It's only you that's going to make it better. It's definitely not us. So I'm going to trust you with that, that you would just move among people. We pray for repentance. We pray for understanding. We pray for wisdom. We pray for health. Just pray for you to love us as you have always done. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.